You're about to listen to the Complete Developer Podcast, the podcast by coders and for coders about all aspects of life as a developer. I'm Will, the curmudgeonly experienced developer. And I'm Beach, the optimistic newbie developer. Welcome to another episode of Complete Developer Podcast. Before we get started, Will, what have you been fighting this week? Uh, I've been fighting wind forms. Really? Um, yeah, and it's embarrassing. I actually had to port some VB.NET code from 2003. Um, you know, like pre-generics, pre-everything. I have a little utility that generates code that wraps the database. And, um, you know, it's straight ADO.NET. just makes a little wrapper layer and makes it where I don't have to deal with the entity framework and, and high running and all these things for really fast-performing uh, applications, you know, so I have, you know, store procs that take table value variables and all that kind of junk. And, you know, that works great. But we decided that on the side project to start pulling that code out and, you know, switching where that code is generated by an app because I've been having a lot of hosting problems um, with the T4 templates, talking to Visual Studio, and there's a lot of back and forth. Plus, I now found that I can't just generate one file. I need to generate several. And... As a result, I've been moving over to making a WinForms app. Well, for all the little pieces where I want to have separate settings, I was like, hey, let's use a property grid because that'll be fun. You know, use a property grid, they said. It'll be fun, they said, right? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it. Um, I forgot how many things about WinForms really frustrated me because it's been a little while since I've done anything really substantial in there. And... I had to kind of dig around and deal with displaying collections in a custom manner because it turns turns out if something's um, an I enumerable, it wants to pop up a little deal where you can add and remove things. Yeah. Well, one of the things it adds and removes, you know, the, or the way that it was set up was tables and views and all that stuff. And I'm like, I don't want to add to SQL. I want them to do that through SQL. This is just settings for those tables and views, like how the, code generator library deals with it so they don't add anything ever on those i showed you before we started the podcast there's you know there's a little button with an ellipsis you know the three periods on there that goes to add and remove i went through about i guess it was two and a half hours of work just trying to get that stupid thing to go away i had to make a custom type descriptor and i had to make custom property descriptors and i had i had generics in the mix i had uh, reflection in the mix and then the best sample I had for how to do this and make it go away was in VB.net in 2003 so of course it doesn't have the other constraints in the mix either and so I'm like having to port it and try to think about what's going on and uh, it was a little bit painful I can only imagine yeah and actually the way I ended up doing it um, my partner on my side project was coming into town uh, he was in over the weekend and he was going to be in at like, you know, four thirty, five o'clock. And this was like noon when I found this out. And so I actually mentally said, I've got to have this done by the time he gets here. You know, well, the thing is, I really didn't have to have it done by then. Um, but I actually used that because mm -hmm. if I can completely freak out, I can actually pressure myself into coding faster and getting things done sometimes. And it worked and I got away with it. Um, but yeah, it was... It was pretty rough. So, uh, yeah. What about you? You've been dealing with any uh, old code lately? <laughs> well, old code for me, 
would be Q Basic or C plus plus. C plus plus is still legit. I guess Q Basic might be somewhere. Uh, well, like somewhere in Patagonia or something. To be honest, to even get a hold of any old code of mine, I would have to go find a machine that still used the uh, the hard floppies. Ooh. I might have one. I don't have those floppies either, so it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, This week's been... uh, It's not been a lot of coding for me this week. It's just been really, really busy. Um, Those are the worst. Yeah, I... Well, not exactly, because by busy, I mean I have uh, two interviews already set up for this coming week. Thanks to the busyness of last week, um, I started putting out applications after the first of the year, um, just because that's when the tech industry kind of picks back up, and it's really paid off. Holy crap, has it picked back up. My phone was going off constantly today. Recruiters, like, hitting my LinkedIn profile, it's like, you know, and our mutual friend who... He who shall not be named. He would like that name. We'll start calling him that. He who shall not be named was sitting behind me. He'd get a kick out of that. He would. Um, his phone was going off too. Oh, and I, he's I, just like, he's like, who's hiring? And I'm like, dude, it's, it's the second week of January. He goes, oh. Yeah, I mean, I got a call today on the way over here from a recruiter in Houston, Texas. I got one from Florida and one from New York and one from Utah. Utah? Utah. That's... I actually know why that one happened, but, um... Well, I I know why the one in Houston happened, because she works for the same company that I've been working with here in Nashville, and uh, I've also been talking to someone from that company up in Cleveland, Ohio, where my baby sister lives. And that's the one I talked to last week with the, yes. one of the referrals. Yes. Um, yeah, so if, if you guys are looking to hire beads, you need to hurry. Yeah, because um, it's it's happening real soon. Exactly, and uh, I, I've been doing that. And then uh, my uncle passed away a, almost a year ago, and when he passed, he left his house to my mom. My parents have been doing a lot of renovations to the house. Uh, my uncle and my aunt were both smokers, so they've torn out all the carpet and stuff. And uh, Recently, my mom asked me to come down and uh, replace the electrical and light switches. And your hair is sticking up right now. Yes. So I assume it wasn't such a good day. It was a bit of a shocking day today. I spent the afternoon finishing up down there. I Did your mom tell you you were grounded or did physics? <laughs> it was more of a physics thing, to be honest. I will say this, I, uh, if you follow me on social media, you've already seen me say it, but uh, understanding the physics behind electrical circuits and the wiring of a house can be very different at times. Yes. And uh, I did get, I, I was very good. Of course, I'm, I'm very paranoid about stuff, so I tested every outlet before working on it. However... Because the outlet doesn't work doesn't mean the wire doesn't work. Is that what happened? No, no. I um, Friday, when we, we started working on this, my mom went around and unscrewed all the outlets 
so I could have easier access. It would be just quicker to go around to each one and replace them. Well, the one in the washroom, I went to test it to see if it had power. I thought I turned it off, but I wanted to make sure. And uh, because she'd unscrewed it, it was kind of hanging face down. So I went to pick it up from the outside edges to turn it so that I could plug in the tester. And it tested it. Yeah, I tested it for sure. It had some loose connections, and it was a very shocking experience. Pun intended. Oh, that's bad. (laughs) And uh, so, well... It stinks when you work like that and you meet resistance. Actually, the resistance isn't that bad. (laughs) That's true. It's when you don't have the resistance that the problem happens. So to complete the circuit, (laughs) I guess it's about time to uh, roll the music. It sure is. This week for IOTs, I have something that I've seen on a few different uh, websites that I like to look at for IOT. It is called Foobot. And it is an indoor air quality monitor. Um, It monitors the air quality of your home or office and sends an alert to your smartphone. Um, It's an interesting device, uh, especially if you have allergies uh, and want to know more about the air quality in your environment. That's interesting. Although, I don't know that the office that we record in, which is my office... I don't know that we'd want to plug one of those in there. I think it would take the cell phone battery down, <laughs> the, the air alerts. <laughs> well, yeah. It's, uh, it's a little funky down here right now. No. It's it's a neat, neat little device. And especially if you have allergies or if your kids have allergies and you kind of want to monitor um, the environment that you are there in, um, a little on the expensive side, I think it's about $200 for that. So in this episode, we're going to talk about um, how to write better technical specs. And part of the reason we're doing this is, well, first of all, because I'm doing that at work right now for a project and Beach just got done doing that for a side project. And so I figured we would kind of talk and he could kind of explain what he did. Will had a client with his his business and since I'm kind of interning or apprenticing with him, I'm not exactly sure what we call that. You know, it's like LinkedIn doesn't have an uh, an idea of what a apprentice is versus a junior developer because you typically shield junior developers from like all the painful, difficult stuff. You give them enough where they can learn and grow, but where it doesn't just absolutely obliterate them. And like, I don't protect you at all. Well, no, and you shouldn't because it's just our well, dynamic just too- and me. It just doesn't work that way. Well, and I'm too lazy. Uh, to be honest, I'm just not going to do that. So I, I'd kind of asked Beach to uh, build these specs for a client for a website that that he wants. And so I, I guess if you want to kind of go through the description, sort of what you did, and maybe that will that'll help some. Yeah, sure. That's that's no problem. Uh, well, honestly, this was the first time I've ever built technical specs. Uh, I've researched it and done some. Exercises in my learning on them, but uh, first time I'd ever done one for a client, and personally, I think it turned out pretty well for a first try. Yeah, it really did. I mean, part of the deal was to throw you into the fire. 
You, yeah, and it, it really did because I came at it with the, all right, I need to create a uh, wireframe. Then I found kind of like a, well, honestly, I, I kind of took a model of a tech technical specs and use that as a basis, which turned out to be really good. The only problem I ran into is the particular website was a WordPress site and Wireframe did not work as well as just going and setting up a free WordPress account and practicing on that until I had exactly what he was looking for. Yeah, well, I mean, that's, you know, that's part of the problem too with specs, especially if, if you're dealing with a project manager because they don't write code. You know, they can, somebody, or a graphic designer, too, they'll get you with this, too, is they can, you know, they can say, oh, they design something that you can't build with the technology there. Yeah. And this was especially true of the web even just a few years ago. Well, the other thing but, I ran into is everything I've done up until this point has been for either myself or for us as, you yeah. know, the... And you had another developer on the other end. And it's yeah. a completely different game when you have somebody else mm -hmm. that's... That that's not what they do. And it wasn't that he made any unrealistic requests. No, he's one of the easiest people to work with that I that I deal with. And that's part of the reason that I sent him your way. The other reason was because he wanted a podcast and you kind of did the site. And I was yeah. like, well, I could figure out what he did or he could do it. And it, it, it worked out really well. He and I have communicated um, a lot via email and I well, even... Uh, you've known each other for, what, 15 years? Yeah, that's true. I we mean, almost as long as you've known me. So yeah. it's... Yeah, I think that was a, a pretty good way to do it. Oh, it was it was a great introduction to working directly with the client because part of it is the discoverability of what the other party wants, which is a whole nother thing. Exactly. I, I kind of discovered when it came to fonts and colors, I gave him the options and the opposite of the one I personally would choose was the one that he picked. Well, yeah, and that's I mean, not good or that's not you know, good or bad, that's well, just subjective. personal preference. And th yeah. that was sort of the point, you know, th like I said, this is why I threw you in the fire on this, is because that's the only way you're going to learn. You know, there's there's a whole lot of stuff that gets said about how you build effective specifications, uh, particularly when working with clients. But even when you're doing stuff with fairly technical stuff internally, it's very different than it's made out to be. So it's it's good that you got to learn this. And so that's that's kind of why we're doing this. I also learned about the, the dynamic aspect of development where I would get the, we would have the, the basics down and then it would come to, you know, the font choices yeah. and what, what I would think would look good. He would think something else looked good. And I think we've talked about this before where I, I talked about the, the JavaScript code I wrote to just sort of display a bunch of different fonts. Yeah, that was a good hack. That was a good way to that was a good way to handle that. Um, well, it worked out. He he appreciated it because it gave him options. A lot of times, it feels like, at least from the development end, the specs don't matter except when they matter, and then they're the only thing that matters because most of it really is the relational aspect between you and the other party. Yes, the specs are you, you codifying that, but no, they're not. I, the, I developed the specs and I wrote them up and I sent them to you. You approved them, and then we sent them to him. Yep. He he approved the specs. Of course, I didn't have the personal detail, like the color yeah. scheme and the fonts and things like that. Well, and I saw that going out. Yeah, it had the layout and, you know, how we were going to set up the podcast and how we were going to do, 
you know, kind of the back end stuff in the site. Yeah. And, and part of that was teaching you that, Hey, you got, you got to think about those things. But mm-hmm. part of it too is the fact that you can't Yeah, because really until you get there, those pieces don't, they don't fall into place. Well, that's, that's what I learned with the, doing the wireframe partly because I was kind of, I went a little overboard with the wireframe. I put a lot of design into it. Yeah. And I was, you know, that's one of those things that I can only, like you can almost only teach that with pain. Yeah. Although I really, to to some degree, I kind of wish I'd intervened a little earlier because I, I wanted you to learn it with pain. So you remembered it, but not maybe that much. (laughs) Uh, stubborn. Yeah. And I, 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 I keep going because you told me to build a wireframe for it, and I just well, and I wasn't I wasn't necessarily trying to waste your time on it because you still need to have the skill of building wireframes yeah. and doing all those pieces. But part of it is getting you into the mindset of trying to figure out what sort of spec to to build. And so I guess it's probably a good time now to kind of go through. I've got a you know I've got a bulleted list here of things to to kind of help you build a spec mm-hmm. better in the future. And I think you probably learned most of these as you went yeah. through, or you already knew them. Uh, there's a, cause there's a few on here. They're kind of obvious. So uh, I guess we'll, we'll start this out. The first thing is start with the end in mind. When you're building out a spec, just outline it first. And, and there's a couple of reasons for this. All right. You know, there's, there's three or four really good reasons for this. Um, the first is, is that helps you avoid large, you know, gross uh, logical and structural errors. Things like, oh, I didn't think about the database. Yeah. You'd be surprised how often that happens where somebody writes a spec and then you, you get a group together and everybody looks at it and they're like, well, what's this look like on storage? Well, I don't know. And it's because they didn't outline it. They just started writing. So you know, One thing that, that I have noticed, and this is more from doing the podcast than anything, is do you remember, I guess junior high, high school is when we first started really doing this. But uh, whenever we would write a paper or they'd be teaching us to write a paper, we would have to, you know, submit an outline and go through this whole process. And that's actually not the way I write now. Not entirely, but... Well, you know what? That's how I write technical stuff. That's... If I'm writing... And I saw that as part of your process, and this was was something that you kind of... You already had this. What I'm getting at is I've really seen the value in it through mainly doing the podcast and blogging because we write outlines for the podcast and from there sometimes at the absolute last minute (laughs) well yeah there's that but we write outlines for the podcast and from there we develop the you know we through talking we develop the episode you gotta have a skeleton to hang meat off of and i do that too when i when i write my blog post is i find it it's easier for me to write a post if I come up with, even if it's just a very basic outline of what I want to say before I type it out, because I tend to stay more on topic with that. The other reason is, or another reason, is that it it allows you to break things into reasonable sized chunks. So like if you're doing the Pomodoro technique thing, or if your day's broken up by meetings, you're not starting in the middle of a gigantic piece. You're starting... You know, in a discrete boundary, you know, you have a certain amount of stuff to get done. It's a lot easier to check things off the list and mm-hmm. feel like you're making progress versus this long slog. Like if you had to write a 200-page document, you'd go crazy. But how how bad would it bother you to, I don't know, write 40 five-page documents? 
it's not anywhere near as bad, even though it's the same length. It's because it's a discrete scope, and you can cover that scope. And you you, you take a break, and you reward yourself, and and all that. It just uh, the last of the the reasons is um, for you know building the outline first is that makes it a little bit easier to work with another person. Um, I know the project I'm working on at work right now. We we started with a somewhat smaller scope, and then we got into the larger discussions of, oh, hey, it could do this, and it can do this, and the document just ballooned. Now, it all landed on me, but it could have landed on me and a coworker. and if it wasn't broken up into an outline, I wouldn't be able to hand that off, because it yeah. would just be a, it's just this glob of work. So you're going to have to do that anyway if you're going to collaborate with other people. So it's better to have this up front, because that gives you more flexibility when that comes down. Plus it makes it easier to work on and easier to track your progress and everything else. The next thing I like to do um, is before I really write the main body of the document, now that I've got the outline, this is sort of a weird workflow, but this is what I use. The next thing I do is I begin the document with a statement of why and, and the goals for that project. So, you know, what's the problem? I have, you know, I have a paragraph or two of, you know, describing the problem that we have. And then I have a paragraph or two describing what the solution should do without getting into implementation specific details. So this is in the layout of the document, but I guess my question is when you're writing, when you're actually writing the document, is this something that you you always do first before you write the body? Yes, Um, because it's not really an intro. Um, It's a statement of intent. And the idea here being that somebody reads the spec and they go, okay, Here's the problem we have. Here's how we, you know, here's a rough idea of what we want to do to solve it. Not non-implementation specific. So it's so it's more like an abstract. Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of along those lines. Okay. Maybe not even that specific. Mm-hmm. It's uh, we have problems. Um, I don't. Know, I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of a sam- tracking feature utilization in our software. We don't know what the users are doing. And as a result, we can't focus development efforts on figuring on on the most important tasks. That's the problem. The solution is we need a system to collect that data anonymously from the client machines and send it back to the server. So you're, I'm you're restating stating the, the problem. problem. You're stating the problem, and then you're stating what you management know, what, wants as what, an answer. What you want the solution to be, and then in the technical spec, you're Fleshing it out. Yeah. Okay. That makes perfect sense. And when, and the, there's a couple of reasons I do this, or there's, you know, it's like, it's like a lot of things. I've really got several reasons, but there's one main one. And the main one is really, um, it's more about office politics than anything else. You'll be surprised how often this comes up mm-hmm. when you start going through my thought processes. Um, but that shows your initial assumptions and that helps other people understand you. So as you're, as you're working with management, instead of going off somewhere for a week and writing a document and then coming back and being completely wrong, you restate the assumptions and go, okay, is this correct? Well, that's, that, I mean, that comes back to even just communication with other people. Yes. Somebody tells that's you all something, this is. you restate it back to them to show your understanding and that you're paying attention. Yeah. Well, the other thing it does is it gets buy-in because, hey, your manager just said, yeah, that's exactly what we mean. And yeah. That's a good exactly. way to put that. Or... And it's off a little bit and you're getting a little bit more detail. And that also reduces the backbiting and some of the other things that happen in organizations that are dysfunctional. You got to bear in mind, my mindset is 
dealing with dysfunctional organizations, I come in and I clean stuff up a lot of times. I'm not doing that now, which is a welcome relief. Uh, but it, the other thing that it does, you know, let's say that you have a manager that's, you know, that's requesting you build a spec for something, but it's for another department. You write that out and you send it to somebody in that other department, you know, the principal on the other side. Mm-hmm. That also pulls them in the loop and they can add other things because sometimes when stuff comes down through management, your manager may not know the full scope of what's going on. They may have heard it secondhand, thirdhand. You know, it may have a lot of times, uh, especially when you're in these big organizations that are siloed, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the person that, you know, say, I always pick on accounting people. I don't really know why I deal with a lot of them. Let's say that there's an accountant that needs something that gets in the GL system. They tell their manager, their manager tells their manager, they tell the CFO, and then the CFO and the CIO are in a meeting together, and the CIO then tells the development, you know, team lead or whatever, who tells the project manager who writes some stuff up and then sends it over to the senior dev who then sends it to you. Well, that's that's a heck of a game of telephone, and you really don't want that. You just want to go and say, okay, let me rephrase the problem and make sure I understand it, because you see what you just did? You just made a bridge right across that. You short-circuited yeah. that. So that if you can get around that organizational structure, that really, really helps you, and it makes you look a lot more effective than you really are. Because you're actually you're shifting the environment that you're working in compared mm-hmm. to other people. So it, it actually looks good, and you're more effective. You get, you get more stuff done. But if everybody was doing that, it'd be a fair game. But, you know, it's, it's like the, the mindset of don't ever be in a fair fight, because if you're in a fair fight, you're tactically stupid. This is, this is how you end up in a situation where you have the advantage and leverage from the beginning. And I think I think you kind of had that, although you didn't just like completely lay it out there because a lot of that with what you had was, well, he wants to run a podcast and he's kind of doing the same stuff we're doing. So the statement was implicit. Mm-hmm. It might have helped you a little bit had you laid it out you know, in writing, which you kind of ended up doing anyway with the spec. Yeah. But had you done that at the beginning of the spec, that and, and pass that off to him before you started writing the rest, that might have actually saved you a little bit of pain. It wouldn't have saved you the, the masochism you had with the wireframes. That was all you. <laughs> well, but, yeah, like I said, I, I'm stubborn, and when I'm told, do it this way, yeah, I will do everything in my power to do it the way I'm told to do did. it. you did. You hit it pretty hard. Those were some, those were some darn good mock-ups. Okay, and the other thing, um, and I tend to, the, the, third, the third point here is, I tend to end with a statement of risks to the project and or questions. So when you write a spec, it's not, at least the way I think of them, is not necessarily a completely dry document. There will be some questions in there in line. And one thing that that comes up with this is that one thing that shows you who actually read it. Because the people that actually read it will answer you. Whereas the guy that's just kind of schmoozing and trying to wing it won't. And the thing is, is when you make that guy stand out, it's obvious to everybody else in the room. You don't have to do anything. Because everybody goes, he didn't read it. Yeah, and it doesn't even look like you're trying to... Well, but you're, you've got questions. They're right there. Yeah. And they're in the spec and they're points of discussion. So you put those at the end as, you know, risks slash points of discussion. And, you know, the risks, you do need to cover those. Well, that um, that is important, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's more of a matter of, okay, what, you know, what could sideline this project? What could cause... Problems if you're at, if you're at that scope if you're just doing implementation not maybe not so much mm-hmm. but if you lay those things out for one thing it's it's forward thinking 
Um, the other thing is you really need to have that um, because you're going to eventually encounter a hostile customer or a hostile somebody or somebody's just having a bad day. And having all your ducks in a row beforehand just, just makes everything so much smoother. Because if you get rid of that initial problem, and then there's some people that you'll deal with too that come off as just complete jerks. And then once they realize you're competent, you're good. That doesn't mean you slack off, but you know, like they they get protective of you because hey, you already passed the test. So this, this I, sort of I helps know with that. Several people like I'm that. like that yeah. sometimes. Um, the thing is, they'll if you start to slack off, they will catch you on it. Yes. And and they'll 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 call you out on it too. Yeah. But you've passed the the initial. The initial. Yeah. You're not gone. You're you're fixable. Yeah. And sometimes if you you pass that and you slack off, they'll come to you with what's going on because yeah. they know because they they they've got that mindset of yeah. all right he's not a slacker and what is it that's yeah what's going on there mm-hmm. it's. You got to bear in mind if you write a specification, it is a political document. Get get it out of your head right now that it's just the spec because it's not. It's the thing that the rest of the team coalesces around, and it's it's very political. So you need to play that game a little bit. Well, I mean, even even with that, like with we've been talking about the one that I wrote for for the client that that you have, and recently I uh, was dealing with. Uh, medical issue and didn't respond to a couple of emails just because I was pretty much out of commission for about two or three days. Yeah. And, uh, I got an email from, from him that said, Hey, are you okay? Cause I normally respond within 24 hours. Usually yeah, and I should have sent him, I, you know, I should have sent him a message too. Of course I didn't hear from you, but I was like, well, he said something about kidney stones. So I was, and part of the deal is, is because I was kind of, you know, well, it also was was over holidays, and so it's kind of there was a lot going on, and so yeah, you know, when he sent me the email, it was like, "Hey, is everything okay? I haven't heard from you in a few days." You know, yeah, it's it's better just to set people up where they can give you the benefit of the doubt without looking like a schmuck. Yeah, because exactly. if they do that, you know, that most people are not jerks, mm-hmm. and if if you set things up that way, they can do it, and they will do it, and you deserve it. Or you're you're more deserving of it versus well, if you're, you're screw up. I, I guess, and I think this is a good example. And you can tell me yay or nay, but you know he had had a few questions. A couple of things weren't working the way he wanted them to, and so when I got when I did get on um, a couple of days later and responded to his email, I got on and I explained what was going on, and then told him how to solve the problem that he was having. Yeah. So it wasn't like I didn't respond immediately. Yeah, you still have to be competent. Yeah. Like you can't, you know, you can't go, oh, the this, this spec is all political and I'm just not going to write a good spec. You have to write a good spec. Mm-hmm. But you also have to bear in mind, you know, set, set you have to up. help build the team in a way yeah. that is going to work. So the spec actually happens. And, you know, these are sort of the things that you kind of have to think about. And I know that that's, that sounds like something that, Developers should ignore. We should all be purists, and we should sit there and you know write code in Vim on Linux and not worry about the rest of the world. But that's really not how anything works. Like isolationism just doesn't cut it. It would be nice, would it? For some people, it would be really nice. It would be their ideal way of doing things. But 
you're an outgoing introvert, and it would not be nice for you. I'm an outgoing extrovert, and it would not be nice for me. Uh, you know, the thing is, is though, they could they could toll away on something that's wrong and waste a year of their life. I mean, you don't want to do that. That's that's what these documents are for. So, yeah, so it's it's just more of a way to get in front of potential problems rather than ignoring mm-hmm. them. So that, yeah, that's why I like to put that there. Plus, if if somebody brings up during a meeting, they go, "Oh, there's this, this, and this that are risks to this project," and you go, "Well, yeah, I actually had that as a discussion point afterward. You know, I, I just stuck that at the end and figured we'd get back to it. That way, you can you can derail, you can defang that snake right there, put it into a context, and bear in mind you just took control of the situation, and all the other people who are probably stakeholders, you know, possibly on the other side of that argument, they got a little time to think." And everybody's got time to cool off and work it out instead of it being a reactionary thing. So this is very important. That's why I, I could put see, that in there. I could see this reducing not just the uh, the time of meetings because when you've got those reactions, you got reactions from both sides coming out. Whereas when both sides have a chance to calm down, focus on what is really you know, on what they want to say, it does reduce some of that reactionary time, that some of the time that's taken up by reactions, but also... It it, it gets rid of the irritation and the stress. Yeah, it, it reduces the stress. That's where, kind of where I was going. Yeah, it reduces the stress of that, and it just, it makes for an overall better work environment. Yeah, it's just better to avoid stupid, painful things. Yeah, exactly. It's pretty much, that. that's like the whole point of evolution. That's why we're not still plowing fields with sticks is because it kind of hurts. So uh, another thing, and this is the one that you learned in excess, I guess. Uh, you learned it fervently. Yes. Is don't build full UI prototypes. I mean, unless you're a designer, then you kind of, you're stuck on that. Um, instead, use a tool that makes it obvious that it's a prototype. That's why I like balsamic. Yeah. It's scratchy. It looks like you drew it out with a pen. It's very obvious that this is not what the final product looks like, but it's the general layout and how the pieces fit together. And this does several things. Again, bear in mind, this is a political document. It's a specification, too, but understand that it is political. Uh, It keeps a lot of distracting discussions about minute details out. Mm -hmm. So you don't have some joker on there going, I can't believe he used sans serif fonts for that. Oh, my goodness. Because there's always that one guy that is got nothing else to do than worry about font kerning all day. So you're going to run into that person. They don't like an image. They don't like uh, the width of a border. They don't like the font kerning. They don't like the font style. Some junk, and it's distracting at this point. There's always going to be somebody like that. And a lot of them are people that really aren't that important, but they want to look important. Mm -hmm. This cuts that, that junk out. Because I it's just noticed, a general layout thing. I have noticed that um, people who want to look important will find... I mean, I've even caught myself doing this. Is You you find something to nitpick. Oh, yeah. I so mean, I, I freely do that. Yeah. But, and you know, I sound like a complete sociopath when I admit it. Um, but, I mean, that's kind of a human trait. It's the difference between saying, I'm a musician and listen to my song. And most of this is actually political because that's really what a spec is. That This is why people fail is because they don't realize that. Another thing that, that happens here is that it, it makes it really clear that it's a mock-up and it's not the finished product. You would be absolutely shocked by how many clients think a mock-up is the finished thing. So, like, let's say that you build a system 
you know, you build a, a quick mock-up. Like, let's say that you're a complete masochist and you do this in access. Okay, this happened a lot in the late 90s. Somebody would build a system up and they go, okay, yeah, we're going to build a real system that's using C++ and talking to the database. But here's a mock-up that we did in access using the designer just to give an idea. And you know what the client says? Ship it. <laughs> and then what do you do? You get, you're Now you're in a defensive, reactive position. You don't want to ever be there. Like, it's the yeah. way you want to make it very clear. Hey, this is a mock-up. This isn't how this is going to look. Exactly. It's a layout idea. And that just that kind of gets that out of the way without having to you know go crazy explaining things. So it's, it's just a way of avoiding pain. The other thing is it's just flat out easier. I mean, how long did you spend... Yeah, I, I, and nobody on the nobody listening can see the look on his face, but he looks like he just ate a green persimmon. I don't know if anybody there's a few there's probably a few people out there that have, but they're really tart and they they, they give you like this awful cotton mouth. It's not something you want to eat, and his face just looked like that because he just thought about all the time he spent on that, and if I'd realized that you were packing that much time into those few days like that I would have stopped you before then because I wanted you to do some mocking up and get the experience well, I didn't I did want not. you to get all the experience right then the next thing you need to do when you're building one of these things is actually lay out your implementation in a logical consistent manner typically the way I do this is I start with the database and I work out because the most valuable thing to the clients I deal with is the data the rest of it is is something that creates the data mm-hmm. as far as they're concerned it's like, yeah, it's pretty, it's nice, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, But sense. the data is the thing that's valuable. And so I start there to make sure that all the constraints are satisfied, that we've got all the pieces. And then I build a layer on top. You know, so like I'll, I'll design all the tables and all their interactions and all this. You know, I don't typically do the store procedure type level stuff. Uh, you know, I leave some things open to the programmer, mainly because I don't have a good way of writing that down, where mm-hmm. it's not just writing SQL on paper yeah that makes perfect irritating. sense yeah now i see that kind of stuff like um when uh when you guys were uh working on your side project agulus which you've yeah. mentioned a few times um as part of my learning you guys let me watch that process of you developing that that is fascinating to me yeah and you just and we work out a lot of people don't they work from the front end back Mm-hmm. Which is okay too because they're user focused. Well, I mean, and part of it too is just mindset because mm-hmm. I think a lot of the junior, the younger developers, they didn't come from a world where hey, the database is the big thing. They came from a world where hey, the UI is the big thing, and we don't really care about the database. We'll shove it in a document database somewhere, and you know, we'll yeah. tune that if we need to. So they've got a different perspective. It's fine either way. You just start at one end and work to the other, or start at a logical place and work out. I think I have a. I guess a unique perspective because, you know, being the same or similar age as you and having coded and learned programming back in the nineties in high school and then coming into it as a junior developer now, I kind of see both sides of that. And like the, the technical spec I wrote was very heavily UI because it was creating a website to allow, you know, to move a, blog to a blog and podcast yeah so it was like the the purpose was ui right whereas a lot of the stuff i do is still you know it's pretty data heavy it's not quite you know like machine learning level but there's a lot of stuff 
And so that tends to be the logical progression. Plus, yeah. I tend to work with a lot of developers that think that way. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, more senior technical people that have they've come up through that. And so that's the best way to get a concept across to them. If I started with the UI, that would throw them a little bit. Like, it puts them on edge. So you got to think about how your audience is going to be receiving. That makes sense. Like you said, like... It's all political. Even still... When you're explaining things to me, I understand it better when you start with the, yeah, what the data the is. Data is. Yeah, because that's just... Well, I mean, that's the, the ultimate... The, the origin of my knowledge of programming comes from that same model. Yes. Yeah. Whereas if you were 15 years younger, I would have to do it backwards of what I think. And either that or I would have to make you an outlier, basically. Yeah. And you would be the one weirdo in your generation. So you do want to be kind of consistent... Um, and, you know, start building the layers on top of each other. One thing that you're going to notice you know, as you go through this, sometimes you'll find things in one layer. You're like, oh, crud, I forgot this further down. Yeah, so we'll, and we'll, we'll come back to how to deal with that. But that sort of helps your design process because you're doing all one chunk, one level out. You know, if you kind of think this, this level's good, then you step out and you do the next level. And if there's something wrong, you just have to fix it one level below. And so you get more and more correct on the way out. Whereas if you intermingled it, you're going to be jumping all over the place. And that's just, that's more of, you know, avoiding pain. Uh, the next thing is, is use headings uh, to denote your outline levels. So like we discussed doing an outline, but don't do that in raw text. Like use Word, use HTML, use something where you can say, hey, this is an H1, this is an H2, and step in. This helps you build a table of contents. It makes it easier to jump around the document. That's easier on the readers, so they don't hate you when they're reading it. Like when I uh, when I wanted to learn Markdown and started writing our show notes in Markdown. Yeah, except it'd be like that. Except it would would work. <laughs> <laughs> hey, it it worked when you were looking at the code. It was only when you tried to look at the product of that code yeah. that it didn't quite work out for for show notes. Yeah. So, like I said, it makes it easier to refer to portions of the document. Uh, this is really handy at meetings. We're like, oh no, no, this is here, and we're just we're handling it this way. You can say you can refer to this. Well, they have if they have the outliner mode up in in Word, they can click on that instead of scrolling up and down and oh or you know whatever. Or if they you know it's in bigger text that they they can find it on the page easier, and so you're not having people rustle papers. It just it avoids a little bit of tension, and it doesn't it doesn't feel like you're put on the spot because like if somebody asks you a question about something and you answer it, and then they're rustling papers for three or four minutes trying to find it. You feel it just puts a weird air on the whole thing, whereas they're like, "Oh, that's right there. Okay, I got you," and they move on, and it's fine. It, it just it avoids that. There, there's also a part just on public speaking on having the outline a set aside, basically, so that you can say, "Oh, well, that's covered in section three point B number one on page sixty-two." Yeah. It just, it just really helps. It makes a lot of things easier. And it also makes it easier when you're writing because you can move pieces around. Because, you know, in, in Word and some of these other editors, you can actually drag those pieces. So if yeah, you go, hey, this is dumb. Why am I starting at the database? The biggest thing in, in our app is the UI. Mm-hmm. Well, I just drag the UI piece above where the database is and I drag the database piece down below where the business layer is. I just switched the entire flow of the document. With I, two mouse clicks and drags. It's just easy. Um, the next point, I, you know, I, I know we, we were kind of burning through time a little faster than I was expecting. Um, 
because we like to expound a little bit more. This is why we have outlines, by the way, so that we don't go off topic for extended periods of time, even though we actually do, and we cut it out of the Audacity file, but that's another thing altogether. Um, As you write, you're going to find issues with stuff you wrote before. One thing you must not do is go fix them right then. Write it down. Write down what you got to do, and come back to it when you're at a logical breaking point. Because you'll do, and I mean, I'm not real good about following this, but this is how you end up with a sentence that, you know, is in the middle of a paragraph and has no predicate. <laughs> because you said, oh, that's dumb what I did four pages ago. And you go back and you fix that and you spend a half hour. And then you go to, the, you know, you go to lunch and you come back and then you forget completely where you were. And you will not, especially if you're in a hurry mm-hmm. writing this and, and proofreading it, you're not going to see that. You'll, you'll read right past it and you'll never notice it. But your manager will. This is why I had to have all of my papers in college proofread. Yep. Which was really nice because the... Well, we're going to get to that here in a minute. Uh, but w- one of the the things that the school offered was a proofreading service. Yeah. And it was, it was either them or I had you proofread it. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is you don't want to break your flow. Yeah. For this, because of the obvious errors, and because it just it breaks your attention up, and that's like you want to stay in that flow state. It's sort of like programming with the distractions, like we were talking yeah, about we before. It's it. very similar um, in in a lot of ways. Um, another thing is is a lot of times when something comes up, and you go, "Oh, I can fix that with you know with whatever this new idea is." Sometimes, if you let it mellow a little bit, you'll actually come up with something better, and. If you immediately went and fixed it, now you got to rewrite it twice, or and fix all the places in the document that were referring to it. It's a pain. Or you may think, you know, this great idea might pop in your head. Throw it down. I I use my phone a lot for that. I mean, you've probably seen me several times. Oh yeah. Pick up my phone and I'm putting stuff into the the notepad on my phone, but uh, I'll write the idea down and then come back to it. Yeah. a little later and look at it and go, you know what? That's really not that good of an idea. Most of the times... It's or it's the fodder for a much bigger idea. Yeah. yeah. That That's the thing that gets me. And is if I chase that right now, I'm not going to get done with what I'm doing. And I, I have a lot of trouble with that just because of my personality is I like to follow... Yes. And and I'm the same way and I, I understand that tendency and that's that's why I have this practice in place. I think it, it really helps a lot. The, the trick is because I'm that way, if I don't do that, if I don't have some kind of outlet for it. You'll be thinking about it anyway. You've got to get it out on paper. Yeah. Well, um, just that and if I don't have some kind of outlet for following those uh, little rabbit trails, it's one of the reasons I like playing video games is because that gets that, you know, like I can go... Especially like the the open world sandbox kind of games, is I can go follow that rabbit trail and get all the way to the end of it, and then go do something else. Whereas when you're writing, you can't do you that. Can't. But if I have an outlet for that, then when I'm writing and I can't do that, I don't feel trapped. And well, and here's the other thing. Okay, your brain just told you it spit something out that said, "Hey, here's an idea." Mm-hmm. When your brain's doing that, you don't want to stop it and go, hey, let's go implement that. Yeah. You want it to keep going. That's a very valuable mental state that you don't want to squander. Mm-hmm. Plus, you're also trying to work. So you either get the idea down and more come after it, and you get those down, or more don't, and you finish what you're doing, and then you go back. 
that avoids inconsistency in the thing you're working on. Plus, it allows you to focus completely on the idea when it's in a proper context. Yeah. Well, I think well, what, I, what I was getting at was if you're like me, like you, it's good to have some form of outlet where you have to. I mean, it, you're allowed to go follow those where you don't have to sit and, you know, put it down somewhere else and then go back to what you were doing where you can just go, oh, that's a good idea. I'm curious about that. I'm just going to follow this. That's why programmers have side projects. That's exactly why most of them do. And of course, we, you know, we talked about the whole inconsistency thing. You know, that, that jumping down the rabbit hole is a great way to have those kind yeah. of problems because it, it just breaks your focus. So it's, it's best avoided. Another thing, once you've written the spec, if you have a day or two or longer after completion, put it in a desk and go do something else. Well, it's just a good idea with anything you write. Uh, yeah. And they suggest this even with uh, with papers, like English papers in college. Yeah, blog posts, papers, anything of that, anything of that sort. Um, if you put it away for a couple of days and come back, you'll see things that you didn't see before. Well, it's like with the okay. podcast. The best episodes we've had were ones that I was able to finish on like Monday or Tuesday with the complete editing. Yeah. Have the, the MP3 out by Monday or Tuesday, listen to it before yeah, publishing. And so uh, there have been several times I've listened to it and gone back and fixed things. If you hear big errors like uh, echoes, echoes. <laughs> that's echoes, one of those echoes, echoes. <laughs> that's one of the big things. If you hear echoes and stuff like that, it usually means something came up and I was, I wasn't able to go back and re-listen to the episode before Thursday morning when we publish. Yeah, and I think developers, a lot of times, we don't really have the concept of an editorial cycle. And it's really unfortunate, especially with things that we write. Because you know, the other thing is, is we also are very used to looking at stuff that looks a lot like English, but isn't. Um, yes. Especially, let me give a shout out to all the VB programmers out there. If not, is null, <laughs> you know, and you have this this weird drug-addled Yoda syntax that comes out, and you'll you'll read it, and it doesn't bother you at all, and anybody else just goes, "Is this something wrong with him?" And, and so it's good to have a couple of days to let something mellow, and then come back and look at it. You know, the deal is, is especially with grammar mistakes, those tend to make your viewpoint look weaker, even if you're technically sound. If you misspell words, you know, you do that sort of thing, it makes people less confident in your technical ability. It shouldn't, because I know some very, very good developers who cannot write for crap. I know I know a few. And, and it's unfortunate because what happens is when you get into a meeting with them, people start picking their ideas apart because they go, well, this guy, you know, he... He is punctuation. And it's not even little stuff. It's not like he didn't use the Oxford comma, which just makes him an un yeah, you know, that just makes him an unwashed heathen. But forgot a period on a sentence or you know, weird capitalization or just grossly misspelling things. And it it does. It just it weakens your argument and you don't want to be in that position because you want to be in a position of power. Another thing that happens uh, with a with another read through is that gives you a little bit more confidence because you remember not just what you're thinking, but what you actually said. Sometimes those are different, and that can be a political thing. That can be a, I don't want to expose these non-tech people to heavy tech stuff and get them intimidated or bogged down or, or trying to understand you know, computing concepts. Like if you're trying to do something with a neural network and you've got you know, some marketing guy over here, 
that's not a real good time to get into that explanation. So what you actually wrote and what you're thinking, they may not be the same thing. So it's good to get another read through. Um, this is also good right before a meeting is read your document again right oh, before you go yeah, in there. So it's in your head. It's fresh. It's, that's that's just good advice for yeah. even if it's not your document, if even if it's a meeting that someone else is having, reading through it right before you go in, just like you said, it it puts it fresh in your mind. Yes. And you um, want to use that that fast access memory that you have. It's your short-term memory because you're built for that. Like you're, you're optimized. And if it's something that's really long, like, um, I know in school and this is, well, if it's very long, it's not going to be the, the, the whole subject of the meeting anyway. If it I, is, you should avoid the meeting. What I'm getting at is if it's something long, like an entire chapter. Yeah. And for, for school, what I would do is I would go through and look at, the outline of the chapter. Well, and for something like that, do you highlight? Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't work in med school. Yeah. Because if you if you try to highlight... You um, highlight the whole book. The next thing you do after you've read through it, I frequently will read it again, but this time I try to get in the head of somebody who's vehemently opposed, whatever it is, you know, somebody who, I don't know, doesn't like my facial hair, whatever, who has some nitpicky reason to try to be in their head and read that entire document as if you're opposing it. But that helps you find holes in your arguments. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of a last minute thing before you're actually going into meetings. Although it can, it can be useful when you're building the, the document, but it's more useful when you're actually dealing with other people. Yeah. Um, you sense. can find those holes and already be thinking in your head. And it's just one of those things where it makes you look better and look more prepared. Um, and anything you come up with, go ahead and add it to the list of, of risks because it's like, oh, hey, you know, yeah, I know you're 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 vehemently opposed to it. You, you know, you'd like to see me burn at the stake. However, your concerns have been addressed in Section C, and now maybe they don't want to burn you at the stake. Maybe they just want to beat you up. It softens the opposition. It's really never that bad. Either that or it, it really, really frustrates them, and they're annoying, and everybody else sees that you... Yeah, it just, it it's, it's a very self-protective mechanism because, again, we... You know, the problem with a lot of engineers is that they don't think specifications are political documents. If they went into it with the mindset that it is, mm-hmm. they'd be fine. Um, and the last thing is, is run it by somebody else on the team, uh, if possible, before you show it to anybody else. Like, I've got a, an office mate. I'll send a spec over to him before I send it over to the other developers that are in the next office down, including one of the owners of the company. Even though I'm friendly with everybody, I run it by him first. Mm-hmm. and just get another pair of eyes on it. Um, it does a couple things. One is, is it helps you get buy-in from whoever is with you. So it's not just you against the world. It's This other guy goes, hey, this this is all right, and I helped him on these points. And you kind of have a teammate there. Also, if they, you know, they read through it, and if they don't make any changes, they're kind of giving their stamp of approval. Yeah, and they're going to feel that when they're in a meeting. Exactly. If, if you're getting jumped on, that's that's a very good prophylactic for that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing it does, it does find errors that you missed. Um, that's true, because there's, there's a lot of times, like you were saying, you'll read through something and not notice that you only have a half of a sentence because you'll see, it. yeah, you'll see the full sentence when you read it. I can't tell you how many well, times in papers I've done that. And the other thing is loaded words. Mm-hmm. Um, 
you know, there's there's certain words that you don't look you don't use because they don't mean anything or you shouldn't use them. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. like we were talking about RESTful APIs earlier. Mm-hmm. Half the time when somebody says that, they just mean that there's an endpoint somewhere that's taking HTTP requests, and they don't really mean REST as in what was in the paper. Yeah. You know, they mean uh, we got an endpoint. Having somebody else that would go, "Hey, look, this is not a this isn't quite on, you know on point." Leave that out, and then you avoid that whole. Yeah, you avoid discussion. the whole situation where you've got to. Yeah, and you just have the discussion with the one person, and you're taking advice, and it just it just works better. It's a better flow. So uh, that's the ten points, and so to I think that uh, that covers it all and pretty much wraps it up. Before we uh, close everything out, well, what do you have for us for tricks of the trade? Well, uh, this this ties into last week's uh, tricks of the trade a little bit. You know, we we uh, kind of have redone it a little bit uh, to ask, you know, to get people to send in questions. And part of the reason for this is what happens to you when you have too many tools. Yeah, really? So, um, yeah, I mean, everybody, you know, there's a, there's a few useful tools that you can have. But when you get to a certain point, you have too many pieces of software to actually keep track of. So you start, you that? Yeah, you start thinking about, okay, i got to update all this. I can't remember which app that's in. And, and so you get too big of a tool chain, and it, it gets to be a problem. And so I just, I kind of want to advise all of y'all out there to start to think a little bit, even though you can, you can have these nice whiz bang tools that do, you know, one little thing and do it really well. Start making sure that you don't have too many, um, because at some point that becomes a cognitive overhead too, and it outweighs the value of the tool. And so yeah, yeah. I can see that even with, um, Beyond software tools, just with physical tools, you well, know, you, uh, you want kitchen. tools to do the job, but you know. Um, and I forget which. There's an opinionated British chef who's on TV, and I cannot remember his name, but he goes off on these useless one-use kitchen tools. Yeah, it's like it's a you know it's a lemon zester that only works on lemons, you know, kind of tool. Not not like that. Really, yeah, I, I see what you're it's saying. It's the same yeah. kind of concept. Yeah. It only works on one thing. And he goes, well, what happens when you have that? Well, you can't find anything when you need something. And this sort of happens on your workstation, too, when you get too many things installed. So just give everybody a little moment of zen and start thinking about, can I simplify a little bit? If you have a question or comment for us, please email us at neckbeards at completedeveloperpodcast.com. Our theme music is an excerpt from Stand By for Titanfall by Pure Bells, available on SoundCloud and licensed under Creative Commons. The intro music for IOTs is OMFG Hello by Argo Fox and is also licensed under Creative Commons and available on SoundCloud. For references, show notes, and to sign up to our email list, be sure and check out the website at www.completedeveloperpodcast.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at CompleteDevPod and like our page on Facebook to keep up with news about the show. Thanks for listening. See you next time.